If you would, open your Bible, if you would, to James chapter 3. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 this morning. It'll be on the screen behind me, but before I read that, I want to share, and some of you are going to be quite excited, I'm sure, because I'm going to read something from Emily Dickinson. How many of you are big Emily Dickinson fans? Like every single person in here, it's incredible. That's right. Listen, Emily Dickinson writes these words. She says, a word is dead when it is said, some say. I say, it just begins to live that day. I'll read that one more time. A word is dead when it is said, some say. I say, it just begins to live that day. That's her poem, A Word is Dead. I think Dickinson gets that right. And I think what we're going to see today is James is going to have a lot to say that supports what Dickinson wrote in that poem that I just read to us this morning. I want to share two stories with you this morning as we set up our time of being in James chapter 3. And I want to tell two stories. Like it's kind of like a tale of two tongues, if you will. Very brief. But the first is, when I was 13 years old, I'm one of four kids. I'm the oldest, and so I have three younger sisters. And when I was 13, one of my sisters was in the room, and we had a bunch of people over. And apparently, I, trying to be very funny, wanted to poke fun of said sister. And so I did. Again, I meant to just poke fun. Fast forward 30 years later, and I'm having a conversation with my family, and this sister brings up, hey, Evan, do you remember when you said this? I was like, I have, I don't, I don't remember. She says verbatim everything that I told her. And I thought, oh, that's not funny at all. It was humiliating. It was demeaning. And it was flat mean. But I, 13-year-old self, thought it was really funny. 30 years later, Emily Dickinson's words ring true. It just started to live that day, though I thought it was dead. Tale number two, last week someone in this church texted me, shared words with me about my preaching with you guys over the past several weeks. This person just said, hey, I just wanted to let you know. And I can just tell how hard you're working. I can tell you're spending a lot of time with this. I'm watching you grow in your teaching. And hey, I just want to tell you, keep it up, man. It's been great. Guess what? Those words, too, live on even now as I stand before you. Now, the contrast is obvious between those two stories, is it not? On the one hand, me, my 13-year-old self, with my sister, those words that I shared with her, those words, those were words that burned. And that's going to be a word you're going to hear a lot today. Those words burned. But this person in the church who encouraged me with their words, their words, they blessed so our words can either burn or they can bless. What we're going to see this morning is that what comes out of our mouth shows what we worship. What comes out of our mouth shows you and me and one another what we worship, who we worship. And like the two stories I just shared, our speech will 
show that it either blesses or it burns. So James is building upon the teaching that we saw last week at the end of James chapter two, where he says, faith without works is dead. And so James is gonna continue to build upon his teaching that he's gonna say like, hey, everything that you do, your faith in God as it's supposed to represent who God is, how he relates to us, and then how we're supposed to relate to other, it's supposed to show up in how we work and what we do around one another. And so James is simply building and now pressing in to you and me this morning and saying, hey, I'm gonna take it a little bit further. Now I'm gonna talk about your words that are tied to our actions, are they not? As followers of Jesus, James is gonna say, we must pay really close attention to our speech. Very briefly, I just wanna show how much the scriptures speak to this topic. There's gonna be, I'm gonna kind of fire hose this a little bit for you, but I just, I just wanna kind of just prime us a little bit to say James, to show James is not creating something new. We've been seeing this each week, right? He's building upon things he knows from the Old Testament and what he knows from his own brother, Jesus's teachings. But listen to these quick verses from Proverbs, one book and only a portion of it about what it has to say about our speech. It'll be on the screen behind me. Just listen to what the scriptures say about our mouths. The wise heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 10, 8. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by, the knowledge, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And finally, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Remember, this is just one part of one book of the Bible and what it speaks to. What comes out of our mouth shows what or who we worship. Our text this morning, let's read it. James 3, verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen behind me, so follow along, and let's read our text this morning and hear what James has for us as we continue to study his letter. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 
With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Father, just really simple this morning, as Alan even shared, just the, the heaviness, I'm sure, is already um, felt in many ways as we've just read your words, God, through James. So, Lord, I just pray that you would just help us to understand that what comes out of our mouth shows us who we worship. And, God, I pray that your words would lay heavy on us where they need to lay heavy on us and they would convict us where they need to convict us. And God, we would also find deep encouragement that we are called to be your people and we can live in freedom from the snares of sin, especially from our mouths. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So for fun, because it's such a light text, it was really a fun week this week studying all the good things about my mouth and how terrible it is. And maybe you're like, yeah, this is gonna be great. You're like, so for fun, I was like, hey, how many like words does the average person speak? Does anybody, just raise your hand. Does anybody like go, oh, I know what that answer is? I know there's someone who wants to raise their hand, but I'm, uh, all right. So, all right, if you don't know this, I was like, oh, how do you even find out how many words someone speaks? Well, apparently back in the early 2000s, the University of Arizona in Texas did a study on this and they found out, get this, that both men and women, both men and women, speak on average roughly 16,000 words a day. Do y'all believe that? Yes, no? 16,000 words. Some of you are like, I know Evan does, but I don't. But that's not what the report said. The research showed, and now right, obviously there's culture, there's context, there's all these things that come into play, but they were, I think there was like 800 people that they studied with this every 12 and a half minutes. I'm not gonna get into it. You can look it up yourself. Fascinating, 16,000 words on average. And since we say a lot of words, it makes a lot of sense that James spends so much time being very specific about what comes out of my mouth and your mouth. If that amount of words are said a day, it makes sense that it would even show what we worship, wouldn't it? So James, though he didn't know about that study from the University of Arizona yet, he knew our mouths or something we need to pay close attention to. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Why is that? Why does James say that? Well, he says it very simply. The answer is because teachers are gonna be judged because God's people, again, he's speaking to the church, and he's saying those who teach or who want to teach, hey, be careful because you, guess what? What I'm doing right now is speaking on behalf of God. I am not God. Alan, whoever takes this stage, whoever preaches in any context, they are not God. They are claiming to speak for him. And James says, you will be judged with a stricter judgment. Not many should teach. And it goes without saying, if that many words come out of my mouth or any teacher's mouth, then the ease upon which our mouth can get us into trouble is exponential. James cares, God cares about the purity of his church, and so therefore those who speak 
must have a deep, reverent fear of what they are doing and who are they are doing on behalf of. And friends, I stand here this morning, and as I was sitting there, because it was such a light text this week, I realized, man, the ease for me standing here, and many of you who know me and know my mouth and my struggle in this place, the ease upon which I can speak from an arrogant place, it's convicting. The ease upon which I and most any other teacher, I'm sure, could speak with condescension. I know more kind of talk. It's stunning to me. I'm very aware of that as I stand here this morning. Not many should teach. The ease upon which I can try to make an argument and the other person's not even in this room. It weighs very, very heavy on me. It's sobering. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. James brings this up again, this idea of perfection. Able also to bridle his whole body. But then James says, okay, not many should teach. And he said, but if you can control your tongue, it's almost as if James is saying, there's a chance that some of you might be able to bridle your tongues. And if you can, James says the, the, the absolute penultimate way of showing self-control over all things in your body, all of the things that you and I would struggle with, if you can control your tongue, then you can master everything else is what James says. Ah, there it is. Is anyone perfect? Who has bridled their tongue in this room perfectly their entire life? James knows there's only one ever who perfectly bridled his tongue. The most supreme act of self-control is controlling our tongue. And James says every one of us struggles with it. That's his point. If you can be, control your tongue, you can be sinless. But because none of us can, he also gives the warning not many should teach. Let's keep going. That's his first point, that not many should teach and all struggle with their mouth. Verse three, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships as though they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Man, James, what do you really think? James uses three metaphors. He uses a, a bit, a rudder, and a fire. Three metaphors to describe the tongue. A bit and a rudder, as we all know, they're small parts of something much bigger. And just like the tongue, James says, those things, the bit and the rudder, just like the tongue, they hold enormous power. They hold enormous power. That's his second point. Our words hold enormous power. My daughter is about 60 pounds, maybe wet, and she's learning to ride horses. Horses are roughly, I don't know, 500, 600, 700, 800 pounds. They're massive animals. And yet my daughter, who's 60 pounds, she can steer this massive animal. Why? Because it's controlled. And all she has to do is a quick pull and moves it in a different direction. And did you know that the rudder is typically about 2% the size of the, the length of a ship? 
2%, give or take. Some of you are nautical engineers and you're gonna go, well, it's technically this, but roughly 2%, 2%, that small piece of metal can direct a massive ship. And he's saying that's the same thing with our tongue, with our mouth. These two metaphors show how our words steer our lives in the direction of them and where do we worship? Just the same way a bit would steer a horse or a rudder would steer a ship, so do our mouths show us, steer us in the direction upon where do we worship. Is it with God or is it with others? Our words, they guide us. Our tongue is like a fire. That's the third metaphor. Don't you, do you not think your tongue is a problem? James says this. If you don't think your tongue's a problem, here's the third metaphor, and we're all just familiar with this. He said, look at the Canadian wildfires that just happened. Did that happen in our backyard? No. It happened thousands of miles away. And the tongue has that sort of an effect. It can set, a small spark can set a forest ablaze and they burn and they get out of control and they destroy and they devastate everything around them. James is not mincing his words here with the warning that we should be feeling and sensing right now about what it is our mouths are capable of doing. Our words show us who we worship because just like the bit, just like the rudder, or just like a forest fire, it moves in a direction. It does something, and it's either towards the love of God, which is what we've been pressing over and over again every week, that James says God's people will be like God when they relate to one another the way God relates to us. And if our mouths are the way that they steer us in those ways, and James James is saying, listen, you need to understand there is no neutral position in our lives. There's no neutral position when it comes to our mouth. That's stunning. Am I being hyperbolic? I, I, I lay that back to you and challenge you with this text. James says it's going one way or the other. Your mouth speaks from one place or the other. There's no neutral here. And just as a brief aside, I want to speak just to the context of this letter. James is writing to everyday people, you and me, everything that we're doing, that most of our lives are lived in the mundane and ordinary places. He's not talking about if you're on a stage as a politician or you're some big leader. He's saying how you live your life every day, what comes out of that. He's speaking to this place. Your words show who you worship. James says, actually, the question I was curious about, and James answers, is like, where, where does this enormous, enormously destructive source of our words come from? He says it's from hell. The word Gehenna, two Hebrew words that mean the Valley of Hymnon, if you're familiar with ancient Jerusalem, and this is a valley just right outside of Jerusalem, and it's a place where there was this, it gained this evil reputation because it's this place where there was supposed child sacrifices to gods practiced in this valley, and then later became a dump where there was fire 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So the New Testament people would be very familiar with this physical, actual place. And he's saying, he's saying that this is where the source of this destructive power comes from, from the very pit of hell itself. Satan himself. How often do we think of our words being ruled by Satan? I know I don't. 
And that's what the text says. No neutral. Heaven or hell? Where is your worship found? Who are you worshiping? James continues, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, of sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield its yield fresh water. As if James hasn't been clear enough for us already, he continues and hammers home his final points for this morning. In Genesis, you and I are shown that we are meant to rule over the creation. We're meant to steward over all of it, right? And James says, but you can't tame your own tongue. Think about that. All the human ingenuity in this room right now, and we cannot tame our own tongues. Interestingly enough, the word that James used for restless is the same word he uses in chapter 1, verse 8, when he says he speaks about the double-minded man, if you recall what he said there. The one who doubts is double-minded. It's the same thing here with how we use our tongue. When we cannot control our speech, we become unstable and restless, just like the double-minded man that James spoke of in chapter 1. Tossed to and fro by the waves, our, our speech by our speech. In verse 9, James mentions cursing people made in the likeness of God. Have words ever hurt you before? Somebody said something to you that you remember very similar to the way I said something about my sister 30 years ago that she remembers just like it was yesterday? Have you been hurt by words before? Have you hurt someone with your words before? Friends, James gives pastoral advice, counsel, and care to us this morning. He's helping you and me to remember that when we speak to one another, we're speaking to fellow image bearers of God himself. Now, just like I shared a minute ago, that I don't always consider the words that I say that could come straight from the pit of hell, I also don't consider often the times that when I speak to one of you that I'm literally speaking to the image-bearing soul of God in another soul. James helps us get very, very clear on what's going on and who we really are. So with one place, we would bless the Lord. We would sing songs like Mel led us in this morning, and then I can just as easily turn and curse the very image of the one I was just worshiping. We are all image bearers of the very God that we say we serve, and yet we curse him with our mouths at the same time the way we treat one another with our words. 
what would it be like for us this morning to consider what does it mean to treat one another as image bearers of God himself? Like, do you slow down enough to ever think that way? Would we gossip? Would you gossip if, as you're about to say something, you think, this person I'm about to say words about bears the image of God himself? Would we gossip? Would you rush to snap judgments about one another if you thought the person you're rushing to judgment to bears the image of your creator? Parents, there's not just parents. It's any one of us, but would we speak harshly to our kids if we remembered that our children, too, are image bearers of our maker? <laughs> this one's particularly convicting for me. Would I just wait to listen so I can say some words to another fellow image bearer? Because apparently mine are more important than theirs. What would it look like to relate to one another the way God relates to us? And with one part of our mouth, we say, God, we love you. We esteem you. You're worthy. We'll sing loudly for you. And with the same mouth to people who bear your image, we will speak harshly. We'll rush to snap judgments and we'll gossip and we'll assume the worst and we'll pretend as if we are better than them. James says, it ought not be so church. Every human being bears the image of God. And we, with our mouth, have tarnished that image with our own sin. And James presses us to think with hearts directed towards God to love them because they are made in the exact same image that we have and we bear the image of God himself. Friends, I just feel like there's been far too much slander, far too much gossip, far too much harshness, far too much arrogance in my speech and in our speech, and I don't mean just you, but the church that represents Jesus. It's far too much. You all see it, but we're all a part of it too. So my anger isn't geared at you specifically. It's geared at me in my own heart as I think that we are supposed to represent the God who loves us with mercy and grace and kindness, who does not treat us arrogantly, does not treat us harshly, he does not gossip nor slander against us, but calls us his very sons and daughters. And yet with my mouth, I will post and I will say things as if I am better than someone else. Shame on me. Shame on us. James says in chapter 2, verse 12, so speak and so act as those are to be judged under the law of liberty. James goes on to say that a tree can't bear two kinds of fruit. Both fresh and salt water can't come from the same spring. Neither should words contain speech derived from the very pit of hell and then at the same time blessing come out with Christian sentiment. That ought not be so, James says to you and to me this morning. 
James brings this teaching to bear straight from what Jesus himself said. In Matthew 12, verse 33, either, Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. How guilty are we of this this morning, church? The tongue is a fire set by hell. So in closing, what does all this show us? Alan was right. This is just a heavy text. You're like, man. So these aren't my words, y'all. We want to be faithful to what God has to say to us. What does this mean for us? In the midst of the challenge and the weight and the heaviness of this text, I believe simultaneously we find deep, deep hope and comfort in it. And here's why. This text this morning, these 12 verses, James doesn't really give us, okay, now what do we do, James? I think what James is trying to do, he's just trying to imply something very, very, very obvious. All of us are in the same boat. All of us are desperate for God's grace in our life. The gospel of Jesus is the one single hope in all places, in all circumstances, in all part of our life. We never graduate from not needing God's saving grace in our life over and over and over and over again. James zeroes in on words in these verses because every single one of us Every single one of us, if we were to play an audio recording in each one of us, and we're going to spend the next four and a half hours doing it because God dropped it into our computer up there. And so we're just going to start from the back and move all the way front. If God had that recording play of your and my speech just this week, how many of us would be really embarrassed? What came out of our mouth? Maybe it was blessing, but maybe it was curses too. Maybe our words blessed other people, but maybe they burned them as well. Maybe some of us would be a little scared about what others would hear that we might have said about someone in our own family. James knows every one of us struggles with our words burning one another far more than we bless each other at times. And so what are we to do? Try harder, wash our mouth out with soap, like my grandma used to do with me. Didn't work, grandma, sorry. Beat ourselves up. No. James wants us to come before the Lord as we are. And he wants us to remember his own words in the letter. And he says to us this morning, here's, here's what we are to do with this. Where our words are like a fire and have burned those around us, we want to come and remember the words of James 1, 5 through 8. And we want to simply say, God, I need your wisdom. I need you. 
And what's God's response to us when we come to him in spite of our mouths burning those around us? Does he give with reproach? No, James says he gives generously without reproach. We come to him this morning. We say, God, give me wisdom with my mouth. Where our words are like a fire and have burned those around us, we ask God for humility to remind us once again that we have been saved from the very depths of hell, which we deserve, but we are now new creations in Christ. And so we remember James' words in chapter one, verse nine and 10. And he says, remember, you're the lowly brother. And in your humility before me and what I've done for you, you can boast in what I've done for you and on your behalf. Where your mouth is wicked, mine was perfect. And you have my righteousness now. So come to me and I will forgive you and I will give you the strength in your humility to treat one another as image bearers of God. and where our words are like a fire and show that our hearts aren't worshiping God, we can ask God for the strength to confess and repent, to grow in an awareness of this in our own lives. James 1.19 says this to us. We said it already. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In what direction does your mouth point the worship of your heart towards God or towards yourself? Do your words bless or do they burn? I'm just gonna take the next few minutes and what we're gonna do is we're gonna do a time of just confession and repentance. If 16,000 words come out of our mouth roughly every day, And if what James says is true, then every one of us have things we need to confess to the Lord. So James wants us to do that. So I'm gonna ask three questions of us. I'm gonna give you a little bit of time in between these questions just to reflect. And then we're gonna confess together. I'm gonna pray over each of these places. The first area that I just want us to consider and to reflect on is, what have your words been like to those you're closest with this week? Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your roommate, maybe it's a friend or coworker, someone you're really close with. What have your words been like? Did they bless or did they burn? Take a few moments and just reflect. God, we confess the times our words to those closest to us have not shown grace and love. God, we confess that instead that they have burned those that we actually love and 
squandered our ability to encourage and build up those who we love the most. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. And in repentance, we ask for the strength to seek their forgiveness today. And with your grace, God, to seek to build them up and encourage them to be a blessing just like the brother did for me this past week. We ask this in Jesus' name. The second question I want you to just to spend a few moments reflecting on it's on the screen as well is where did your point where did your words point others towards on social media maybe it was twitter facebook instagram or snapchat or whatever the thing is that you are on did they point to jesus or did they point towards the kingdom of yourself did your words burn or bless those that you have an audience with Take a few moments and reflect on that. Heavenly Father, we just confess to you here now in this time and place that are, there are times our words have not shown grace and love again, and instead they have burned those who we love and squandered our ability to encourage and build up those that we have access or an audience with across so many different mediums of communication, God. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we have not represented you, but in fact, God, we've represented the very reality of the hell that we're so thankful we've been saved from by your grace. God, you've shown us mercy, and Father, we have not shown mercy to those around us. In repentance, we ask for the strength to even ask those on those platforms and those audiences and those people, ask for strength for us to ask for forgiveness from those people that we have burned rather than blessed, and Father, even online, God. this in Jesus' name. And the final question I just want to lay before us this morning as we reflect, confess, and repent is, what were your conversations like this week, this past month, with your friends, with your church community, with each other in here, with your coworkers, potentially? Did you gossip? Did you slander? Did you speak negatively about someone else? Were your words a blessing or did they burn those you were around there too? Take a few moments and reflect. Father, once again, we just simply ask you, where we have not shown grace and love and with our speech, 
where our words have not blessed, Father, even our brothers and sisters in the church or our friends in our community group or those that we work closely with, God, or the neighbors that we live around, Father, we just confess that to you and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, you've given us all opportunity to be ambassadors of your kingdom. And Lord, where our mouths have shown another kingdom, God, we just confess that to you this morning and we repent. And so, Father, the same is true again one last time. We ask for your strength to help us seek repentance and seek forgiveness from those whom we have spoken ill towards, where our words, rather than being a blessing, have burned. And so, God, we ask this in your name. God, you've been gracious to us when we haven't been gracious in return. Your grace is sufficient in our weakness And so, God, this morning, we recognize we are all in desperate need of your help with our tongues, with our mouth. Help us remember that our speech shows us who it is we worship. And God, I beg you that you would continue to grow Grace Hill into a safe place to be known in. And Father, that that would start with how we speak to and with one another. May our words be a blessing rather than burn. I ask this in Christ's name, amen.